Oh. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day. It is a beautiful day in the proverbial neighborhood, in the, uh, well, in the virtual neighborhood here. I'm glad to be with you. I hope you're glad to be with me. I'm feeling uh, good <laughs> and happy. And uh, all is well. All is well in the world. Life is good. Everybody is alive and well and being blessed. Baruch Hashem. And uh, nothing, uh, nothing is, uh, you know, nothing can be better, right? We're living the dream. We are presently living the dream, Baruch Hashem. We are uh, experiencing a little bit of uh, shutdown and a little bit of quarantine and isolation. But if you have to be shut down and quarantined and isolation, there's no better place to be quarantined and isolated than uh, right here in Los Estados Unidos. Unidos. So that's right. Rachel, Koltov. That's right. Everything is Koltov. And uh, and here I am, isolated with you. Uh, the synagogue has been a lonely place lately, but uh, we'll have activity today because we have some uh, meat orders locally anyway. I wish I could supply meat uh, nationally and internationally, but unfortunately that is not, uh, we're not able to do that. Was able to see Celia and uh, yesterday uh, for a little bit, and Wanda Brugashem. So Celia and Wanda came to Wanda around the synagogue. Ha ha ha. Anyway, uh, and I got to see them, and so that was nice. It's nice to see congregation members face to face, which you haven't seen in a few weeks. So Brugashem, and there's Celia right there. She was the first one on the uh, the Aliyah. So welcome, Robert from Nebraska. Welcome. Rachel, precious, beautiful Rachel, watching from Tulsa. Always glad to see you, my dear. And uh, who else do we have? Jatwalatu, Sue, welcome. And who else? Hadas, who has evidently enjoyed some shakshuka by the hand of Rafael. And there's Rafael. He's finished with his shakshuka, so welcome. Glad you're here. Forrest, good to see you, Forrest. Watching from the outpost in the northeast up there. Good to see you, sir. Ryan, welcome. Devora Barrayo, glad you were here. Lynn, glad you were here. Who else do we have? Our Jamaican is here. Welcome. All the watching all the way from Kingston, Jamaica. Glad you were here. Gigi, glad you're here as well. Vincent, Georgia, Yiska, Gabriel from Germany. Our outpost there on the the German Alps. I'm just kidding. Are there such things as German Alps? I don't know. Somebody educate me. Elvro, glad you're here. Uh, sh is it Shy or Shay? Maybe it's Shay. Well, glad you're here. Uh, who else? Christopher, welcome. Jenea, watching from Kansas City. The Rebetzin is here in the house. Baruch Hashem. And uh, somebody watching here, the Covingtons. Covingtons, uh, is that the Covingtons that were with us many, many uh, moons ago? Is that the same Covingtons from Louisville, Texas? If it is, welcome. Glad you're here. Diane, welcome. Andrew, Welcome. Juan, the Holy Juan, there he is, watching this morning, glad you're here, and Roy from uh, Coffeeville, where's Coffeeville, Roy, um, what state is that in, let me know, Marie, welcome, anyway, look at all these precious people, it's awesome, glad you're here, glad to be with everybody on the Aliyah Day, our video, the video I made about the candle lighting has, uh, last time I checked, um, 
let's see. I mean, I'm trying to going to tell you. It's very exciting because people are getting this video and prayerfully. You know, you never know how many hundreds of people may be lighting candles for the first time last week and maybe maybe this week. Presently, there are 779 views on that uh, video. This is the COVID-19 Shabbat, light up the coronavirus. Uh, 96 people liked it. Two people didn't like it. They're they're very ha uh, sad people that didn't like that, and they need help. Um, may Hashem light them up. But uh, anyway, share that video. That's very exciting. Then the COVID, well, let me, the COVID-19 res uh, spiritual response video, just to give you an idea. 1,321 people have viewed that video, 122 likes, and three malcontents didn't like it, but who cares? So uh, share that video, and that's awesome. People are getting the word and uh, turning on the light of Mashiach. May Mashiach come soon, right? Um, for the benefit of the world. You know, I was thinking about that just last night. I was in davening uh, Minka, and prayerfully, everybody is prayerfully, <laughs> Sometimes our mind gives a pun and we don't even realize it. But anyway, hopefully, prayerfully, everybody is still davening Minka. But I was davening Minka last night. I was thinking about the coming of the Mashiach. And I was reminded that we should desire the coming of the Mashiach not to relieve us of any uh, problems. Meaning that sometimes we say, man, I, w I just wish the Mashiach would come. And that's because maybe you're going through a difficult time or there's a shutdown and, you know, life is difficult. There's bills to be paid, whatever, right? So we say, come Mashiach, bo Mashiach, b'vachashach, um, but, but really we've got to caution against that. We should desire the coming of the Mashiach because we, we know that the world, the universe um, needs Mashiach. Uh, I hope that makes sense. It's a, it's a very uh, it's a very fine line sometimes, but the point is sometimes we desire the Messiah, but we desire the Messiah because we're trying to gain some type of relief. Um, personally, I mean, and really, uh, we should just make sure that our motivation for the coming of the Mashiach is for the benefit of the world, for the redemption of the world, not necessarily for our reef. Will we experience relief? Absolutely, but it's the same thing as saying that. We give our tithes and offerings because, you know, we're commanded to do so. It's Torah law to give tithes, and it's the right thing to do. We need to do it with a joyful heart. And at the same time, we understand that doing so is a humongous, a gargantuous benefit to us spiritually and uh, materialis material materialistically or physically, whatever. Nevertheless, that's not why we give. We don't give so that we can get a new Cadillac. We give because it's a Shem's will. All right, so <clears throat> you're welcome. <laughs> we are in the Art School Chumash, page 581. Parashah Zav. Today is already Wednesday. Can you believe it? It's already Wednesday. It's the fourth day of the week. Cuatro dia de la semana. I had to think about that for a second. Uh, all right, so here we are. Chapter 8, capítulo ocho. Ocho, not ocho, ocho. Uh, eight, chapter, I'm just going to stop. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Uh, yeah. Did I mention that a little bit of a whiskey in your coffee is good in the morning? No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. 
<clears throat> much. Uh, 8, chapter 1. It says, Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the oil of anointment, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the baskets of matzot. Gather the entire assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moshe did as Adonai commanded him, and the assembly was gathered to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moshe said to the assembly, This is the thing that Adonai, uh, Adonai commanded you. So verse 5, just it says, Vayomer uh, Moshe El Ha'eda Zehadavar. So I, the reason I read that just quickly is because the word thing... And the word devar, uh, word, uh, well, that word is devar, which means word or means thing. Which is interesting because you could read this here and say, this is the word that Adonai commanded, or this is the thing that God and I commanded. But since the, the, the word for word, devar, means word but also means thing, it implies that the word can become something. Like the Mashiach. The word can become a thing. In this case... A man. So it's verse 6. Moshe brought Aaron and his sons forward, and he immersed them in water. He placed the tunic upon him and girded him with the sash. He dressed him in the robe and placed the ephod on him. He girded him with the belt of the ephod and adorned him with it. <clears throat> he placed the breastplate upon him. And in the breastplate he placed the umen and thumen. He put the turban upon his head and upon his turban, and upon the turban towards its face he placed the golden head plate, the sacred diadem, as Adonai had commanded Moses. Now, I just want to take this opportunity because we're talking here about the turban, the head, the head, uh, headpiece, on the high priest. But all the other priests wore a head covering, and all the Levites wore a head covering, and the head covering that they wore was more conical shaped, which is why we have the kippah, because their head covering basically looked like this. Uh, the reason Jewish men today wear the kippah is because it's an ancient, ancient custom. That, that uh, Basically, the idea behind it is, is that we are all serving God, and God is not limited to a particular space, because he is, one of his names anyway, is Hamakom. Uh which means the place. So Hashem is the place. He's not limited to a tabernacle uh, area. So if, the idea is, if the priests and the Levites were serving Hashem and they had their head covering covered, then we are, by extension, a kingdom of priests, and therefore we cover our heads because we're serving God all the time. Um, there became a false theology that came up in Christianity that men are not supposed to cover their heads when they are praying or prophesying. The problem with that was, as we just read, God himself mandates that when the priests are praying and prophesying in the most holy of areas on the planet Earth, they should have their head covered. Now, if God later comes along and says, you know what, actually, I completely want to reverse that. I know before I said that when you're praying and prophesying before me, I want you to have your head covered. That was a mistake. In actuality, what I really want you to do is not cover your head. That's a complete opposite view, 180-degree turn there. If that is the true, which it's not, thank God, that would mean that two things. Number one, God made a mistake. That's bad. Number two, that God changes. 
that's probably even worse. Uh, so there's that. So whenever somebody comes across and says, well, we're not supposed to cover our head anymore, and say, well, the problem with that is, is that uh, God said he wanted us to. So, yeah. Anyway, it says here, Jetwe le tour center. Verse 9, he put the turban upon it. No, I said that already. Sorry. Verse 10. Mose took the oil of anointment and anointed the tabernacle and everything within it. Thus, he sanctified them. He sprinkled from it seven times upon the altar. He anointed the altar and all its utensils and the labor in its base in order to sanctify them. He poured from the oil of anointment upon Aaron's heads and he anointed him to sanctify him. Moshe brought the sons of Aaron forward. He dressed them in tunics and girded each of them with a sash and wrapped the headdress upon them as Adonai had commanded him. You know, uh, not to get off on the head covering thing, but it is interesting to mention that the people who bring that up as an objection, by the way, that's the end of our fourth Aliyah, um, people that bring that up as an, 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 as an objection nearly always is true that their wives never cover their head. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, we want to, uh, it's so common in, in theology, modern theology, we want to kind of pick and choose we wanna, what we want to take um, out of that. So, um, all right, going, I want to look at, at an insight that's going to provide a wonderful segue into a public service announcement, kind of, kind of a public service announcement, kind of an, an, an encouragement, uh, maybe a, a bit of a perspective for our modern time. All right, so it says here in the Kehol Tumash to Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 19, it says the flesh that touches anything defiled must not be eaten. It must be burned in fire. So it says here, according to the sages, this is the sages, this is talking about in Shabbat 25a, which is in the Talmud, one of the reasons defiled meat must be burned is so that other people not confuse it with per permitted meat and inadvertently eat it. In other words, even if we are certain that we will not eat it, or use, or even touch it, we must burn it so that others will not come to transgress. The Torah here demonstrates how deeply we ought to be concerned with our fellow's safety and the pains we ought to take to spare them any wrongdoing. Now, the reason I wanted to read that is because it's very appropriate to the time in which we are living. Uh, we're having this stay, these stay-at-home orders and stay away from work or work-from-home orders or no more than 10 people gathered in a, in a place of uh, worship or whatever. So now all these churches and synagogues or what have you, such as us, uh, are having to do online services and things of this nature. And uh, some people are put out by that, and, and understandably so. I pray this all comes to an end very, very soon for a lot of reasons. Number one, I want people to be healthy and not die. Um, number two, I'm, I'm very concerned about our economy here in the United States. We, we want to be strong and everything. And number three, I want people's mental health and emotional health uh, to be okay. Um, but... One of the big reasons for staying home, uh, not going out, and not visiting the grocery store every day to get toilet paper, 
uh, is because we don't want to get somebody else sick. And I, I promise you that a lot of people think about themselves as I don't want to get sick. And they think about, or I'm not going to get sick, right? I'm trying to protect myself. Or, or they think that I don't want my liberties uh, infringed upon because I want to be able to go around and do whatever I want to do. And you can't tell me that I can't go to synagogue or church or the store or the movie theater. Or I can't go to a concert or this is an infringement upon my liberties and give me liberty or give me death, which are probably death. Uh, that kind of stuff, right? This is no, this is no time for that kind of um, silliness uh, because as Jews, we're supposed to be concerned about other people's well-being in as much as we are concerned about our own. So going about and, and taking these precautions is not just about us. That's point number one. But, but yesterday I saw a post online and somebody was waxing eloquently about how any, uh, something to the effect, I won't quote it exactly, but basically it was uh, something to the effect of people who truly love freedom should essentially not be okay with all these restrictions. That if you are okay with all these restrictions and somehow you're a fair-weathered freedom lover, um, and in reality you're, it's just a farce because our, our rights are being infringed upon and we've got to give me liberty, give, my, give me death, you know, men and men to your guns. You know, they're shutting down the houses of worship. They're shutting down the ball games. They're telling us we can't go out. And that's never happened before and it's... It's a, you know, infringement upon our liberty. Well, well, well. Ladies and gentlemen, if there wasn't a global pandemic, all of that would be true. If the government woke up one day and said, you know what? You're not allowed to go to church. You know what? Um, we want everybody to be in their homes uh, by midnight. Not allowed to go out after that. Uh, you know what? Um, you're not allowed to go to a ball game. Well, what's going on in the world? Nothing. We just decide that uh, we don't want you moving around. Then it's time to get the uh, AR and the AK out of the out of the uh, the gun cabinet and go to work. But when there's a global pandemic, um, then there's reasonable cause. It's kind of like it's kind of like a search and seizure, right? They a police officer can pull you over. If he has reasonable cause to do so, he can search your vehicle with a search warrant if he has reasonable cause to do so. He, he can't say, well, you can never search my car no matter what, ever, okay? If you do, it's a violation of my liberty. Um, that's not how life works in the United States. Uh, so let me give you some historical perspective because this will help everybody calm down. All right. Um, in World War II, remember that little episode, World War II? Um, I wasn't alive then, contrary to popular belief, but uh, World War II, right, was a global thing. Are you aware that during World War II, on the coastal cities anyway, in the United States, and of course all of England, there were mandatory blackouts? Mandatory blackouts. You had to blackout your... Uh, shops and homes and whatever had to have curtains to do so or paint the windows and even put stuff on your your uh, car lights to black them out it was mandatory and they had uh, uh, 
civil uh, air defense people that would walk around and make sure that you did so in places like Seattle and L.A. and New York and parts of New Jersey along the coast, west, east, west and both west and, and east coast. And if you didn't, you could you could face serious uh, penalty. Uh, why did we have blackouts? Well, because we didn't want the enemy to bomb um, our coastal cities. But somebody, in, to put it in perspective, somebody uh, nowadays who said, that's a violation of our rights. We're not allowed. To, they're not allowed to do that. Well, you, that would mean you would just leave your lights on. Uh, which would mean that uh, you would potentially put your entire, let's say, apartment building in danger of being bombed by the Japanese or the Germans and would potentially get everybody in your apartment complex killed. Um, all because you wanted the freedom of leaving your lights on or not blocking out your windows whenever you wanted to. But we were in a state of war, and so therefore it wasn't a violation of your freedom. It was actually something that we all did collectively together um, to defeat the enemy. I have in my possession, not here but at home, um, food rationing coupons that my grandmother and grandfather had been issued during World War II. They were issued these coupons for food rations, and they were allowed to use them only at certain times, depending, I think it was on the, the, the letter of their last name, and only to buy certain things and only in certain quantities. My grandfather and grandmother, never, it never occurred to them to stand up and protest on, the, on the, the city streets and say, this is a violation of our rights. I should be able to buy as much milk as I want, whenever I want. I'm supposed to buy it on Tuesday, but I demand to buy it on Monday. They didn't do that because they understood that by rationing food, they were helping uh, some soldier, sailor, or marine uh, defeat the enemy overseas. And so they, they took their food rations and they followed it. But they didn't consider it a violation of their rights. Why? Because we were in a state of war. Moreover, um, interesting to know that they also, uh, during World War II, limited people to gathering not more than five people. They also limited alcohol sales during the blackout times. You're not allowed to buy alcohol during blackouts. They didn't consider that a violation of their freedom. They considered that a smart move to keep everybody calm in a time when there might be bombs dropping on our city streets. In 1945, in an effort to make sure that as much funds as possible and, and uh, what have you went to our men uh, and, and some women fighting overseas, in 1945, they instituted a national curfew across the United States that all bars should close at midnight. In New York, they defied that, and they kept them open for another hour until the National Guard showed up and shut it all down. It wasn't a violation of their freedom. It was an effort to win the war. Interestingly enough, the war was won six months later after that curfew had been in in initiated. And after the defeat of the Japanese and the Germans, um, those curfews, those blackout orders, interestingly enough, they all went away. We haven't had one in 70-some-odd years. Because we haven't been at war globally. But we are at war now. So I am a freedom-loving American. And what that means is when my country is at war, and we are now, then I have the patriotic duty to do what I can to win the fight. And so that's what we're doing when we're staying at home. We're staying at home is not a violation of our freedom. It's actually a declaration that we are Americans, and we're proud Americans, and we are standing for each other. And so be proud to do just what you're doing and don't look at it like somebody's trying to steal your, your freedom. Now, again, uh, if the, all of this goes away and they still say, don't go to synagogue, well, 
um, your Huckleberry at that point. But until then, let's win the fight, shall we? All right. A lasting offering. You're welcome for that public service announcement. Hopefully that keeps everybody uh, safe and calm. Let me see what else we got in the last few minutes. We have um, a few remaining moments here. The Cohen, a type of Mashiach. Uh, Ahmed and I were talking after the service on Shabbat because I had realized for the first time as I was re as I was reading along in the Torah, uh, Torah with um, uh, the parasha. And it says in there, in the Torah, it says, Kohen HaMashiach. And uh, Amet advised me that, that he had apparently had read a little bit more, and he said that it actually says Kohen HaMashiach twice. Um, Kohen HaMashiach would mean um, uh, the, 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 the Messiah priest, basically. Uh, and I thought that was very interesting because, as we both talked about at that moment, uh, that this indicates that the Messiah is also a priest in as much as he is a king. And so I, I thought it was very, very interesting. But anyway, it says here, the Zohar points out that the same sacrifice for Aaron and his sons is mentioned later in chapter 7, verse 35, using the feminine zot instead of zeh. This relates to the principle that a union of the spiritual qualities of male and female was attached within the person of the Kohen Gadol. So that's a very interesting insight. So the Mashiach is a type of Kohen, right? He's actually the highest Kohen, <clears throat> the highest priest. He's the great high priest. Um, and so what this is saying is that within the Kohen Gadol, there was a fusion of male and female. Which is why at one place it uses the feminine zot to talk about the sacrifice. And in another place it uses here, it uses the, the masculine zet. Now, why is this important? Well, the reason is because that Mashiach is a manifestation of Hashem. And within Hashem is both the aspects of male and female. And, and the Mashiach is also likened to the first Adam. It's called, it refers to him as the second Adam, right? Now, now, who was Adam? Adam was obviously the first human being that was, was created by God, but he was also the, the human being that, according to the, our sages, was a spitting image of Hashem. So much so that the Midrash brings down that when he was created, the angels bowed down to him because they literally thought he was Hashem. Now, if Hashem doesn't have an image, then then that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. How could the angels bow down to him if he didn't have an image? Because they would know that it wasn't him because he doesn't have an image. So if there was an image, then they wouldn't bow down to it. Which tells us that he does have an image. Because I've said before, Hashem never said, I don't have an image. He said, don't make an image of me. Very, very important distinction. Uh, so... Within Hashem, there's male and female, because when Adam was first made, Adam was made with male and female in him. Why? Because ultimately, Adam had all the souls of all the human beings. Well, not all the souls, but he was basically a representative of that. Now, Mashiach has all the souls of all the humans who will ever live. Later, woman was pulled from Adam into a separate entity, Right? So here we have the, the Cohen who has male and female in him so that he can minister on behalf 
of male and female, just like the Mashiach. Another insight here, it says, on the day he is inaugurated, so it says the ordinary Kohanim also offered a tenth ephah on the day of their inauguration into the sacred service, but the Kohen Gadol offered it every day, half of it in the morning and the other half in the evening. This was done to obtain forgiveness for his sins. No person, not even of the highest rank, can atone for the wrongs of other before he has atoned for his own sins. This is a Barbanel. The reason I want to share that is because the idea that everybody has sinned and there's nobody without sin is a Jewish concept. And, and, and I say that because some people believe that Jews, like those rascally Pharisees, believe that nobody was, that, 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 that they were without sin, that they didn't have, uh, they were, they walked on water or whatever. Now, I'm sure that there are people out there who believe that about themselves, but by and large, Judaism teaches that everybody has sinned. Everybody falls short of the grace of God, or the glory of God, rather. In other words, there's nothing new in the New Testament. What this insight I just read teaches us is that the Torah presumes that all men are sinners to include the very high priest himself to the extent that it is required for him to offer up an offering for himself and his family before he can minister in order to take away his sins. Isn't that fascinating? So even the highest level requires grace and mercy. This is the teachings of Hashem that we have to understand that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we talk about teshuva of the, of the world and teshuva in this time, teshuva during this pandemic. We don't need to think about, and this is the trick, not the trick, but this is the, the, the potential challenge. When you think about teshuva, we shouldn't be thinking about, you know, the world needs to make teshuva. What we need to be thinking about is that we, the person who's looking at you in the mirror, is the one that needs to make teshuva. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining me. Please like this video. Please share it with all your friends and family. And uh, please have a great day. And we'll be back here tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel, to continue our studies. We're out of time, but not out of content. Join us tomorrow. We touch on more topics from Parashah Zav.